Can we now turn back to the chapter we looked at earlier? That's the Epistle of James, chapter 5, and I want to read from the second half of verse 16 to the end of verse 18. So, James 5, the middle of verse 16. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. James here, and it's not just in the verses we've looked at, but the the verses before, he's speaking about the power and the necessity of prayer. Before I commence, I'll just say that I normally preach from the authorised version of the Bible. I'll make no comment on different versions, but that's our pulpit Bible back at home. And the the passage I'm looking at this morning is is very little different in the authorised version compared to the New King James Version. The only significant difference is in verse 17, the AV says, Elijah was a man with like passions as us. Here it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. The only reason I mention that is because I might lapse into automatic control, as it were, and and, and read what's not here in the Bible before me because I tend to remember what it says in the AV. But hopefully that won't cause any confusion. So I, I want to begin by looking at this section from James's epistle regarding prayer. Then I'm going to look at another New Testament passage that also speaks of Elijah and the drought. Finally, subject to time, I'll, I'll go back to 1 Kings chapter 17 and to see what else we can learn about the prayer of Elijah. There are matters about prayer that I admit I don't really fully understand. The Bible teaches us that God cannot change. God is immutable, and therefore for God to change would be contrary to the inherent nature of God. And yet there are times when the prayers of the Lord's people appear, and that's appear in italics, appear to make God change. And such is the case in this passage we're looking at this morning. God's will is perfect and God does not need me to pray about anything and yet we know that God delights in prayer. He instructs his children to pray and God is pleased to answer prayer. I do not think for a moment that my prayers will ever cause God to do something that is contrary to his will. And yet we read of times like this, when Elijah prayed that it should not rain, and it did not rain. And then after three and a half years of drought, Elijah prayed that it should rain again, and it did indeed rain. Elijah was a man who prayed according to the will of God. That is evident from this passage before us and other passages of scripture that speak of 
Elijah. He prayed according to the will of God and God answered his prayer. God did not need Elijah to pray for the drought. It was the power of God alone that brought about that drought. And yet scripture tells us that it was the prayer of Elijah that resulted in this drought. And so whenever we pray, we need to be careful to ensure we get our balance right. There are two extremes, and there's a lot of people in between those two extremes. But at the two extremes, there are those who are so fatalistic in their approach to prayer that they rarely pray for anything specific. And if we don't pray for things, then how will we know the answer of prayer? At the other extreme, there are men who can be so presumptuous in their prayer that they act as if God is there just on hand, waiting to do their will. Jesus taught in the Sermon of the Mount when he was speaking about prayer, this is how we pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will, not my will, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before we come to look at this particular passage in James chapter 5 about prayer, I, I just want to turn very briefly to another section of James where he speaks about prayer, and that's in chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. There, James writes, chapter 1, verses 5 to 8, If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." I don't want to look at that in detail, but just note the, the sort of highlights. When we pray, let him pray in faith. Let him pray without wavering. A man who is double-minded is unstable in all his ways. So coming back to chapter 5. Here in this section of his epistle, again, James is writing about prayer. And he commences with that fundamental truth in the second half of verse 16. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And if you look at the different Bible versions, if you were to read the commentaries, you will discover that this is a verse that can be translated in many different ways. And the differences are all there because the individual translators are trying to bring out the full force of this verse. So I'll just read one or two other renditions of this verse. In the ESV it says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The RSV says, The prayer of a righteous man has great power in its effects. The American Standard Version says the supplication of a righteous man availeth much in its working. And, and I'm not here to, to comment on the merits of the different translations, 
because they all bring out the fundamental thrust of this passage. And that is real prayer is powerful. I mentioned the American Standard Version and that has one merit insofar as it speaks of supplications and yet in the version we have before us it speaks of prayer. And I just want to stress the point that that is a difference which can be found in the original. The, the word translated prayer in verse 16 is a different word than which is used for the prayer of Elijah in verses 17 and 18. The word in verse 16, it, it speaks of an entreating. And yes, it is prayer. I'm not saying it's not prayer, but it's a different word for prayer. Perhaps we could call it a persisting in prayer. Think about the case of the Syrophoenician woman who came to Jesus with that urgent case of a devil-possessed daughter. There were many hindrances that would stand in the way of her coming to the Lord, but she persisted. You could say she entreated. You could even say that she begged, as it is when, in the case of, of, of Jacob. Remember that time when he wrestled all night in prayer with God. I will not let you go except you bless me. Persistent prayer, supplication in prayer. And so, coming back to this verse 16, we could say, a righteous one's petitions avails a great deal when putting forth its energy. And that's one of the points I want to underline here this morning. This fact that James brings to our attention. And that is there is energy, there's power in the petitions of a man of faith. There's power in prayer. We may be weak. As human beings, we all have our limitations. But remember, you pray to the Lord God omnipotent. Our petitions are made to the creator God. We pray to he with whom nothing is impossible. So James speaks here of the prayers of a righteous man. And before we move on, we must stop and ask ourselves the question. And that is, what is a righteous man? What does me, James mean when he uses this description, a righteous man? Well, I'm sure that every true believer will praise the Lord that God's hearing and answering of our prayer doesn't depend upon our own inherent state of worthiness. Rather, it depends upon the worthiness of he who is our great high priest. We read in the epistle to the Hebrews, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. So James is not telling us it's the self-righteous man who is heard when he prays. It's not the prayers of a man made righteous 
through his own good works that he speaks of. Rather, it's the prayers of the Lord's children. It's those prayers which are effectual. Prayers of the Lord's people made righteous through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who come to God by faith, trusting in the merits of their great high priest. Those are the effectual prayers. Trusting in the promises of the Lord, knowing that perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus imputed to their accounts. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, says James. And again, on that thought of a righteous man, the man that the Lord will hear and answer, Jesus taught in the Beatitudes, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, when James speaks of the prayers or perhaps the petitions of the righteous man, he uses a word that can be translated as begging. And when we think of begging, it reminds us of who we are before a holy God. It reminds us of our relation to him. Yes, we can pray to him as father, but never forget when you pray. You're praying to the Lord God Almighty. I only recently noticed this point, but there is much debate as to whether the phrase effective, fervent is passive or not. The word is, is literally energy. The, the, the fervent prayers, the, the energetic prayers, the, the word is frequently translated in the Bible as to do or to do work. And the question is, is that fervency, is that, that energy in our prayers, is it man's fervency or is it the fervency of God? And there are some who say that the fervency is all of man that a man has this burden upon his heart and that burden causes him to come to prayer as it will, well, he, he will not desist from praying until he knows the Lord's answer. Well, that's one suggestion. The other suggestion is the word is, is passive. They say it, it's God who takes our prayers. It's he himself who makes those prayers effectual. And I'd like to suggest that the answer is it, it's both. This, this energy that James is speaking of here, it's both active in one sense and it's passive in another sense. It's God who lays the burden upon our heart. It's God who gives us zeal for a particular matter so that our will and God's will become as one. It's he who gives us that energetic desire and at the same time it is his Holy Spirit who energises our prayers. And as the mind of man and the heart of God become united as one, it is God who is pleased to answer prayer. Well, there we might say is the theory about prayer. And now James moves on to give us an, a practical example of this real, fervent, energetic prayer. And he shows us how much that prayer avails. And he moves on to this example from the life of Elijah. 
Elias was a man subject to a like nature as ours and he prayed earnestly that it, it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months and he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. There's something about Elijah that I find, and I'm sure most of us do, I find really appealing. He's one of those Old Testament saints who continued to be greatly renowned during the the time of the New Testament. He's mentioned in the New Testament some 30 times. James tells us Elijah was a man with a like nature to ours. In other words, James is telling us, don't think that Elijah was so special that one set of rules applied to him and it's a different set of rules for us. Don't let that or allow that to make you think that there are things that are too big for you to pray over because Elijah had a like nature to ours. Elijah had weaknesses just as we do. Elijah suffered just as we do. He had to endure those things that were contrary to his natural desire, just as we do. But look at the effects of Elijah's prayer. He prayed that it should not rain and God answered his prayer. There was drought upon the land for three years and six months. He prayed again and God caused the rain to fall on the earth once more. He prayed earnestly, we read. Literally, James says there, he prayed in his praying. There's a repetition of the word for prayer. And it's common in the Hebrew way of speech for a word to be repeated in order to emphasise. And that's what we have here before us. James is saying, Elijah really prayed. He didn't merely go through an outward appearance of saying his prayers. He prayed earnestly. He was a man with a like nature to ours. So don't excuse your lack of prayer by saying, well, Elijah was a certain class of saint, higher than we could ever attain to and so it's almost inevitable that the prayers of Elijah would be answered and then tell yourself well well, God would never answer similar prayers from my lips don't use that as an excuse for not praying Elijah was a man with a nature like ours he too had his weaknesses he too was a man who had his shares of doubts and fears and yet God answered these amazing prayers from Elijah. Shouldn't that encourage us to pray? Shouldn't that encourage us to a right measure of boldness when we pray? I'm just going to turn briefly to another passage in the New Testament where we read of Elijah and that's in Luke's Gospel chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and verses 24 to 26. These are the words of Jesus. 
No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath, to the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And, and those words of the Lord just helped to add a little light to what we already know about Elijah, as we have it recorded in the first book of Kings. We're shown that God specifically chose Eli to send Elijah to that woman of Zarephath. He didn't send him to an Israelite family, but he sent him to a Gentile family. And during that period of three and a half years of drought, or at least for the time within that three and a half year period that Elijah was there, Elijah was specifically sent as, as a blessing to that woman and to her son. So we go back now to the first book of Kings, chapter 17. I'm not going to turn to it, I'm just going to briefly mention one or two of the, the points taking place at that time in 1 Kings chapter 17. By way of background, we know that Ahab is on the throne. Idolatry is rampant in the land of Israel, and the land is ripe for judgment. There seems to be little by way of true godly living in the land of Israel, and yet God is not mocked. God demonstrates that he is still in control, and God has his own way of working, and God has a way of cutting down a nation. It doesn't matter how powerful, it doesn't matter how ungodly that nation might be, but God can cut it down to size. God brought judgment upon the land of Israel in the days of Elijah, and I would suggest that God is bringing judgment upon the world in the days in which we are living. God's means of judgment are different. But God has the whole of creation at his disposal. He judged by means of flood in the days of Noah. He judged by means of fire and brimstone in the days of Lot. He judged by drought and famine in the days of Elijah. He judged by taking his people into captivity toward the end of the period of kings. And over the last few years, God has been judging the world, firstly through this plague of coronavirus, that followed by war in Ukraine, and now we are living through times of economic turmoil. These events are not come about by chance, and they have affected the lives of probably every single inhabitant of the world in one way or another. As 1 Kings chapter 17 opens, Elijah bursts onto the scene. This man who God has been raising up fearlessly announces himself to Ahab as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand there shall not be dew nor rain these years but according to my word when Elijah speaks in that way to this ungodly king Ahab he's saying I am the Lord's servant I do the will of God and I do so even if it means putting my own life in danger. And when you think about 
Elijah putting his life in danger. Remember, Elijah was a man with a like nature to ours. Elijah prayed that it would not rain, but he, he did more than just pray about it. He had sufficient faith and trust in God to answer prayer that he comes and brings his message to the king. He tells this wicked king Ahab that God is about to mete out judgment on the land. Elijah's prayer, I remind you, that it would not rain was totally in accordance with the will of God, but still he prayed repeatedly and fervently over it. And our prayers should be like that. You see, something about the unbreakable confidence that Elijah has in the power of prayer. He doesn't just pray and hide these words in his heart. Rather, he declares them openly and boldly for all to hear. Having made this declaration before King Ahab, Elijah's life is now in danger. And yet you see how, how God protects his faithful servant. And, and scripture shows us how the word of God came to Elijah, how Elijah moved onwards in accordance with the word of God. And firstly, Elijah was sent to Cherith. There's a famine in the land, remember? The land is suffering from the drought. And Elijah, again, I remind you, a man of like nature to ours, Elijah suffers from the effect of the famine. Despite praying for the drought, Elijah's life is severely impacted by that drought that he had prayed for. But God is faithful. God does not allow his faithful servant to die of hunger. And we see how the Lord provided for his servant everything that he requires. Bread and flesh from the ravens, water from the brook. God, I remind you, was bringing judgment upon the land. The people of Israel are suffering greatly. And yet the Lord provided Elijah with everything that he required for life. Yes, bread and flesh, water. It may have been a restricted diet. It may have been less than he was used to. But it was sufficient. I thought back, it's probably three years or so now, isn't it, to the beginning of coronavirus. There was all that panic buying in the shops. The shelves in the supermarkets were half empty. And perhaps that meant that some of us got used to restricted diets, things that we were used to, but then we couldn't obtain. Probably most of us are currently impacted by the rocketing prices in the shops. Perhaps there are things we cannot afford that once we could. Possibly there's a tendency for us to complain. But we still have far, far more than we need or deserve. There at Cherith, Elijah was faced with an isolated life. There was no human interaction for him. No family, no church meetings, no telephone, no internet, no Zoom. In one way, Elijah's alone, cut off from men and women, but alone with God. And surely that must have been a time of great blessing for Elijah. There are times in our lives sometimes, God, as it were, strips away everything that might be a distraction 
And when all that's stripped away, we have that time of close communion with our maker. Time passes, Cherith starts to dry up, and Elijah sent to that woman of Zarephath. Remember what the Lord said in Luke 4, God could have sent Elijah to a widow in Israel. There were many widows in Israel at that time, but he specifically chose to send him to this woman of Zarephath. I, I'm, because of the time, I, I'm not going to say anything about Elijah's time there, but he was a blessing to that family. And then the Lord moves Elijah forward again. There's that victory upon Carmel, there's the prophets of Baal defeated, there's the one true God of Israel vindicated, and again, Elijah is sent to Ahab. Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. If you go back to the account in 1 Kings, you do not read of Elijah specifically praying for the drought. We know he did because James tells us in his epistle. But you do read in the account in 1 Kings of Elijah praying that the rain might return. Again, he's praying according to the will of the Lord. He's praying that the word of the Lord might be vindicated. He's praying that the name of the Lord might be lifted up on high. Again, we are shown how the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I'll read a section from 1 Kings chapter 18. I'll just turn to it in the Bible so I read your version. 1 Kings chapter 18 beginning at verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. There he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. Seven times he said, Go again. How the faith of Elijah must have been tested at that time. He was praying for rain. He had told Ahab it would rain, and yet seven times there's no rain. But it comes to pass the seventh time, he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. God answers prayer. In the meantime, the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. I just want to make one or two points as I come to a close. Elijah, and I really want to stress this point, perhaps I already have overdone so. Elijah, who had a nature like ours, he prayed and he prayed according to the will of the Lord. He prayed for famine. Later on, he prayed for the drought to end. And God answered Elijah's prayer. But remember, Elijah wasn't exempt from the judgment 
that was being brought upon the land in general. And the righteous aren't exempt from suffering here below. But the righteous are exempt, they're guaranteed it, a freedom from eternal suffering. During the time of famine and drought, God, who is faithful, God provided for Elijah. It may not have been in the way that Elijah would have expected, but God has all of creation at his disposal. Elijah was a blessing to that family at Zarephath. And the word of God, we see, was at work and effectual. There was a time for the famine to begin. And in God's will, there was a time for the famine to end. And that does remind us how God is merciful. God will not allow us to be tested more than we are able to endure. If any of you is passing through a time of trial, God has determined it. There is a time for that trial to come to an end. The effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man avail much. I want to close with a question. We talk about prayer. We teach about prayer. Some of us stand up and preach about the power of prayer. But my question is, do we really pray in this manner? The manner that we read of here, the manner in which Elijah prayed. Do we pray like that? I was struck by that thought as I meditated upon this passage. We can talk about prayer. We can promise people we will pray about a certain thing. Don't confuse that with praying itself. It's so easy to talk about prayer. But if we want to know the answer to prayer, then we need to get down on our knees. And yes, it may be metaphorically down on your knees. But you need to stop and pray in faith to God. The effective, fervent prayers of a righteous man avail much.